The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Cannabis had a big year in 2018. As part of the Breaking Views Predictions series of events, Bruce Linton, the chief executive of the world's biggest weed producer, Canopy Growth, sat down with Breaking Views US editor John Foley in front of a live audience in Toronto to talk about what's coming down the pipe. He covered consolidation, why big pharmaceuticals companies are going to crash the party, and he confessed that he doesn't actually touch the stuff himself, or at least not yet. So... Thanks, everyone, for coming, uh, joining us here today at this Reuters Breaking Views predictions panel, fireside chat, if you like. So this is to launch um, our book that we do every year, Reuters Breaking Views, called um, Predictions. This year's book is called High Anxiety, but the first thing I just want to get out there is that that is not a reference to any products or customers of my <laughs> guest today, Bruce Linton, who is the chief... Are there any claims of, campaign. like, uh, medicinal possible outcomes? Because those could also be offside as well. High medicinal... Yes. ...induced anxiety. So, um, uh, thanks for joining us, Bruce. So, uh, Bruce, as you, as you will all know, is, is, of course, the chief executive of Canopy Growth, which is um, the biggest, the world's biggest legal producer of cannabis. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been a crazy year for, for cannabis. You started 2018 as a $6 billion company. You are now, as of today, after a mere 11% <laughs> increase in the share price today, you're a $17 billion company. I guess the first question I have for you is, how is Canopy, the $17 billion company, different from Canopy, the $6 billion company? Hmm. So um, when you think where we were January 1st, 2018, uh, if we were meeting as a media interview, your question would have been, uh, will the Senate pass access to REC? That was uncertain. When will it start? That was uncertain. Um, will Malaysia try and govern cannabis versus killing people who have it. Um, what's the size of market in Germany? Uh, will the farm bill be a thing? So I would say on a year ago, uh, there were a whole lot of questions for which most people took uh, an appropriately negative view of the likelihood of them happening. And so what's happened is we've changed, but I would say the space in which we've changed uh, has been unbelievable. And probably the only reason our market cap continues to go up maybe at a greater rate than others is when we were in the original space. If I was here three years ago, um, we were kind of nerds keeping track of cannabis using very high-tech systems where you could use three keystrokes and where every gram was in production. And we kept building things because I didn't understand that you could actually get super rich by putting up press releases. Um, and so uh, what we did was make 30 acquisitions, 16 rounds of finance, raise about $6.4 billion, spend about $2 billion, and create a bunch of tangible assets, which means when it's time for the party to start and the medical research to accelerate, we're in a better spot because of where we were a year ago and the events that have happened. You wanna, uh, actually, I'm going to pause there. because and We're going to do like three answers, right? Because uh, they're so long. Exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have no problem with that. So um, one of the things that we're going to ask you guys to do is tell us what you think about a few things. And I just want to, that's a good moment for me to ask the first question that I'm going to ask you all to answer. And you will find that on your seat there's a little grey gadget which you can use to vote. Um, so, and the first question that we have this evening, aptly, is which investment will perform best in the coming year? Is it US equities, crude oil, Chinese bank shares, private equity, the British pound, or Canadian cannabis stocks? Um, wow. So if you press the button now, we should be able to instantly see what you think. Yeah, okay, so no surprises. The majority of you said Canadian cannabis stock. We did the same test on Tuesday at a panel that we ran in New York with those Wall Street bankers, and they also said Canadian cannabis stock. So wow. it's well, $34 billion by the end of this year. You know, and as a Canadian, I was um, going over to the UK I had my first meetings in the UK with money um, really just over a year ago. Like uh, big breaking news from uh, about 372 days ago is Canadian Bank helps cannabis company raise money. GMP, Steve's here, and BMO. And then Canadian Bank president shocks Davos by mentioning cannabis in a presentation. 
And so when I was going to the UK, it was very easy to explain to them what we're doing because they actually understand that their Senate and our Senate are very similar. And uh, Americans, I explained, they're very similar and that it's a bunch of old white guys who don't do that much, but then after that, there's a lot of differences. Um, the um, meetings I could get in the UK were almost nil. And four months ago, after they'd gone through the events of July and said, you know, um, we can't withhold this from our citizens, we're going to start getting in the cannabis business, it's been unbelievable. But I did recommend to them, you know, you go to the UK and all people can talk about then and now, Brexit, 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 Brexit it does drive you nuts when you're trying to actually have a conversation about cannabis. And so usually what I've had to do in the past with cannabis is people are uncomfortable curious. And if you can give them something to kind of shift their mind, like explain that the reason you occupy Hershey's former chocolate factory is I really didn't need to understand why the Oompa Loompas were so happy. And so by putting the pot in, well, with the Brexit people, I tell them, if you let me get on with my work, I've got something for your Brexit anxiety. I'm gonna and they finally shut off. <laughs> But this, is, this has been actually one of the, the big story for me in cannabis last year was not just the rise in the market caps. It was what that symbolized, which was that this was the year that your industry kind of put on yeah. a suit and tie, if you like. And you, uh, not, not literally a tie in your case, <laughs> but some out there are wearing ties. But, but during the year, yeah. you know, Goldman Sachs Bank of America got involved with Constellation yep. taking investment in you. JP Morgan is now lending to Altria to buy shares in one of your rivals, Kronos. Vanguard is one of your biggest shareholders. Wall, the Wall Street establishment, which was very nervous about this sector yeah. not long ago, seems. Are you, are you feeling the love from? Wall well, Street? you know, it, it, um, in uh, late September, I was in New York, and I did a presentation at Morgan Stanley. Uh, yeah, Morgan Stanley had their whatever event. It's their big equities uh, event, and uh, I got up on stage in this breakout session, and it was packed. And I told everybody just before we start, take a picture. Because this is the first time anyone has legally been allowed, to the best of my knowledge in the history of this firm, to stand on a spa stage and sanctioned speak about cannabis. So if you're worried that you're late, you're probably not. Um, and maybe the only thing I would say that's really started to happen beyond their interest, I would say their interest isn't just based on uh, trade. Uh, I think what they're seeing is the toppling of the barriers and most of the resulting regulations have a lot to do with how we've done it in Canada. So if you go to Jamaica and go to a licensed facility and you watch how they measure the plants, process the plants, control the inventory, report the inventory, have standard operating procedures, it's got a lot of similarity with the Canadian system. And that's sort of happening everywhere. So if you start to think about if you have a really good company from Canada that's been laying down track in all these countries, and if those companies adopt a public policy framework which is not particularly dissimilar to ours, you should be able to use your standard operating procedures and methods of execution in that geography and have a better than average chance of being successful. And so the banks, I think, are putting together a bunch of pieces and saying there's like seven or eight textured elements. Let's get in. Have you been allowed to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange? <laughs> when no. you listed, they didn't let you do that, did they? They still have a thing. They still, yeah, so um, for the people who don't know, it's kind of a, um, we wanted the credibility. Uh, the basis of Canopy has been based on borrowing other people's credibility from day one. So Deloitte, to their credit, was the for first source of my borrowed credibility. I talked to them and I said, guys, good news is you might have the chance to have your very first marijuana customer. Um, all you just got to do is get head office to say, yes, we'd like a marijuana customer. And remarkably, Do Deloitte said yes. And so I had the company open about six months and I had an auditor. And I would go to the next meetings and I'd say, well, you know, I don't want to brag or anything, but Deloitte's our auditor, and you could have a chance to invest. And away you go. And so when we were looking at the U.S., we really liked SEC. We really liked FINRA. We want the regulatory controls they represent. And we looked at NASDAQ, and they were quite keen. And we looked at NYSE, and we said, well, NYSE's kind of like pretty posh, right? It's old school, so why don't we go to that one? And uh, they, of course, said no. Like, no, you can't be on our exchange. And we said, well... Constellations on your exchange. What if they bought us? Do they have to leave your exchange? Oh, let's get back to you. And uh, they called Tim back and said, the, the board has met. Only topic was you guys. They didn't say how long the meeting was, but I suspect it wasn't quick. And uh, you're in. There's a couple of quid pro quos and things like that. One is you can't touch the bell. Said, like, all the bells? Yeah, you can't touch the one by the stand. Where you ring it on the day, you can't go up on the thing with the balcony, you can't do that one, there are no bells. 
Any other rules? That's the main one. So. And there's no do-over. You can't go back to it later. <laughs> I don't know. Um, now, if they let us, you know what we're going to do. Like, we're psychic. So when was the last time you heard someone say no because we don't do cannabis? We're oh, not, we're not it's... The nose, um, one of the things, like if anybody wants to upgrade your IQ or your looks, just get four or five billion dollars from someone else and apparently you become way smarter and better looking. Because uh, we were disallowed from participating in almost everything. Like I'd ask, could we go to the, one of the banks, I shouldn't say their names because they probably watch this, um, but they had a back to school, consumer packaged goods, big deal, wanted to go. And uh, no, can't go. Then we get the money, yes you come, here's your speaking spot. And I just got back last night from being at the uh, JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. My bl mind was fully blown at that conference. Like if anybody is not gone, find somebody you know who's really smart in like uh, chemistry and go to the show. Um, and just go through all these presentations on what people are working on. And then there's like JP Morgan, but then there's Rothschild, everybody's around there. And we wouldn't have been allowed there last year, but we're welcome this year. And next year we'll probably be a core speaker. So you, um, the Constellation deal that you, uh, I want to talk about that a bit. So Constellation invested in, in total five and 5.4 billion, I think, Canadian dollars. Yep. And, they, and they will put more money in later if they cash in some warrants that you gave them. Yep. So that, that deal was, that deal was a, f a formative moment in this industry because it was the, when real money started changing hands. Who's, whose idea was it to have a huge exchange of capital in that, in that deal? Because one of your rivals, Brendan Kennedy at Tilray, he, he's specifically not done this. He wants to keep, he wants to stay in the driving seat. They're setting up alliances, whatever. But you actually took the cash, handed over the shares, potentially handed over control if they kept oh, well, the warrant. So like, there's, there's, there's many things. So like, um, I think I mentioned that we've raised 6.4 billion and that took 16 rounds of finance over six years. Um, I can take you on a tour of our building, and when you come in and you go to the back and I turn left, I will point to a door. And I can tell you that door, how many shares it costs, because I bought it in 2013, it cost a lot of shares. And then that, as you go further around, the doors got relatively cheaper because the stock price went up, but I couldn't get any debt to buy doors. Couldn't get any bank facilities for anything. Are we talking about physical doors? Everything, everything. And despite promises from banks that when you get your license, we'll set you up with a normalized sort of facility where you can do a lease lend back and roll it over, zilch. So the concept of control was entirely exploded by the time I bought probably like my 80th door. Um, and, and so at some point in time, you realize that your objective is not control, your objective is domination. And as soon as you're clearing your mind about the fact that um, there's lots of things you can control, like you can control like how clean your garage is or something like that, but like if you want to control a company that's trying to do something globally on a big scale, um, what you really need to focus on then is what's the value per share and as a disinterested minor shareholder, how do you optimize for everybody? So uh, when we had our first conversation with Constellation, we approached them, pursued them a little bit. Um, that was like, you know, November 2016. Uh, Mr. Trump had just gotten elected by December. We're talking to them. Talked to them for probably sort of six months before any concept of money hit the table. It was about what do you want to do, how do we want to do it. And when they, then we did the deal, which was about a year later, um, our stock had you know, not done that much, but um, they put in $245 million for 9.9% and had an option to buy another 9.9% at $245 million. And then we worked really hard together for about... Um, eight, 10 months, 12 months. And uh, it was really evident what we were doing was probably the right way and what we were doing wasn't that easy. And so um, when they said, you know, we'd like to even have way more alignment, that's very appealing. Like I, I, I would sooner have alignment than to have total control of something. So uh, when they came around, we said, for sure. And then you work through the structure and now it's even easier. And so it, it kind of was um, the right time, the right money. And, you know, I think, um, no one really, like honestly, if you start a business and you work really hard for six years and somebody comes along and says, I'd like to invest $5 billion, not be able to take over the company, know that it has to be run the way you're running it, and now you have enough cash to go super hard on a global basis. And if you said, no, I don't think I want to do that, that's because you don't have that option. But it doesn't matter where the money comes from. Like if, it's, if, there's no other reason you'd say that. Like, you're an irrational individual if you pass up $5 billion to have an opportunity to accelerate like a rocket. So what if, they, though, that $5 billion came from, say, a, a tobacco company? Would it have been the same? Um, so I, 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 I think we were fortunate. We were correct in that 
the sequence in which we thought people will enter the sector was going to be pharma, tobacco, pharma, or sorry, booze, tobacco, pharma. And the booze guys, it's just because if the party starts, they have a, a hedge. Why would you not be part of the party? People really don't care. You're not having a two-shot gin martini because it tastes awesome. You're having it because you want the outcome. Um, so why would you not get the same thing from me but have no calories? Well, like seriously, oh, you have the blue cheese olives? Those are just really great. Um, it, um, like, it's, it's, so there's a reason they should do that. The tobacco guys, I, I was a little surprised. They spent all that money on this heat not burn technology that they couldn't get uh, health claims on. But it is a really good way uh, for people to access cannabis if they want it. So I thought they should come in on that. And when you look at it, like they have tons of cash. They essentially, as far as I can tell, they make more money as they have less customers because they just charge them more. Right? Like that appears to be the model. So you'd think that this would be a refreshing of their business opportunity. And pharma has bigger numbers and a longer track. So I think uh, by late 2019, it's going to be the year in which pharma actually starts having to say, we're really in. And if you've got something that's going to be disrupted, if you've got the tail of your product and you don't have the next version, uh, if you're in any of the primary fields where people buy cannabis for, so like, think about like, um, you know, sleep, mood, uh, pain, depending on type of pain, uh, a full range of neurological uh, sort of things that people are trying to deal with, whether it's from uh, concussion or anti-concussion through to, uh, you know, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. I think anybody who's got a pipeline that has stuff like that and it's squeezing down, they're going to start coming in. Can and you, though, having, having um, I, I was going to say shackled yourself, but that's not the right word, having partnered in a way with Constellation Brands, could you then also bring in another? Like if you've a company that wants to take a 25% stake, yeah. can you give them that? So um, at the end of the day, uh, whatever makes business sense will always make business sense. So it's not going to make any sense to say, well, let's also get another beer, wine, spirits company. But the way you make the best uh, recreational products is you use the medical sciences necessary to get the outcomes you want. And over time, you create this portfolio of medical IP. We've got about 140 patents we've filed. We've got um, sleep trials that are commencing this month where it's a phase 2B sleep trial uh, targeted at primary insomnia. We've got dog trials running. I think they're running today. Um, they're this starting. Is the cannabis is a veterinary. For, yeah, medicine. but then these are pure plays. So then over time, the reason the, the pharma guys are going to get in is why does a cannabinoid need to stay away from an opioid? Why do these things actually have to be so distinctly separate? Like if you could start taking and mixing things, and if the result might be that um, maybe we could help with opioids uh, in a bunch of ways. We got about two and a half million bucks we're spending with UBC on how do we get you off them. We got a bunch of pain studies to help you not take them. And why not make something so that if, like, if you do need them, um, part of the reason people take them more often is they start thinking, oh, Christ, the pain's coming back, pain's coming back. They get anxious, boom. Well, what if we could combine things so we diminish anxiety, increase the duration between dosages, and start to make it so that you're not overloading, right? Like, so stuff doesn't have to stay in its own category. So uh, tell me a bit about the Farm Bill, the U.S. Farm Bill, which uh, was signed hmm. on the 20th of December, I think, um, has sort of taken hemp. Um, which is you know cannabis plant with very small amounts of THC grown basically for CBD, and it's taken it's it's now descheduled, right? It's no longer a controlled substance in the United States. Shares stocks went up one day, they went down the next day because the FDA said that you wouldn't be allowed to eat it or spread it on your skin. Yeah. It, it's all very complicated, and clearly the markets don't know what to think about it. How how are you thinking yeah. about the farm bill? What does it mean? Is it important? Does it change things? Yeah. What are you doing about it? So, uh, yeah, very simply, Farm Bill said it's okay to grow hemp, and it's okay to extract hemp, meaning take CBD out of it. FDA next day said it's not okay to use hemp in any way because it hasn't had any proof of safety, efficacy, no claims can be made. So now you've got this weird spot where for sure we're all in, we're going to go into being hemp processors, we're not going to own land, grow hemp, that'll be somebody else's business, we'll process, maybe we'll put it into uh, something to diminish anxiety in dogs, but in the short term... Um, it's kind of weird in that some states, so it's illegal to grow marijuana in the U.S., right, federally. But a state like California can say it's okay. And California says that we will govern cannabis growing, but we trust the FDA to look after medicine. Which means if you grew marijuana in California and extracted CBD from marijuana, you could actually argue in court that um, I'm following a state law and I'm okay to do that. But if you grew hemp in California and extracted CBD and tried to say, this is CBD from hemp, I want to sell it, you actually have a bigger legal problem because 
California hasn't said that they're governing CBD. They've left that to the FDA. So it's kind of weird in that, um, in a sense, the farm bill said hemp's okay, but because the states and that FDA thing aren't totally clear, you could actually have a, a bunch of people making a pause as to will they call it CBD, or is it just hemp oil? And you can't say how much should be in it because now you've identified it. And so there's going to be a period of time where uh, companies like ours do a bunch of research so we can actually say that, in fact, it is a generally safe for ingestion and we do trials and those trial data sets convey into the FDA. But it's not like an overnight um, fix because the FDA has the jurisdictional responsibility for any health claims. Do you have a bunch of hemp ready to go at the moment that they say you can... Yes, so we've been doing a bunch of hemp work in Canada. Um, what we've done in the U.S. is pick out where do we want our hemp from because we're not farming it, uh, line these sorts of things up, pick about where do we want to process it. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes down to what's the right jurisdiction by population and by politics. And so um, between us and having Constellation around, we've been kind of at this U.S. thing in earnest for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, but I don't think it's a... I think there will be a massive revenue profit pool, but I don't think it's formed up to say how you get it clearly yet. So say, so the U.S., you're obviously not active in the U.S. For, because it's not federally legal to be active, and that's a, a condition, if you like, isn't it, of yeah. being listed on New York Stock Exchange and Toronto Stock Exchange. If, if that changed and you were able to invest in the U.S., where would you put that investment dollar? Like, geographically, where would you put it? Mm. And what part of the supply chain would you put it in? Because I'm not sure you would put it in like California where land prices are through the roof or Colorado yeah. which is all mountainy and like where, where is the ideal place to invest in cannabis in the United States in an ideal world? So this is one of those questions that I'm going to only like sort of half answer because we, we've thought about it a lot but it really part of the question is um, how does it become lawful? Does the federal government in Washington say party time everywhere? Do they say medical is okay everywhere? Or do they say we do not want to touch this. Why don't we call it states' rights? And if the state says it's okay, then it's okay. But if the next state says it's not okay, it's not okay. So don't drive across state line accidentally with your stuff. And so that makes a big difference on what you do because if the federal government said it's all okay, you'd probably produce cannabis in places that have a low land cost, big flat area, reasonably high availability of water. You'd be about 70 or 80% of it would grow in greenhouses or in fields which probably wouldn't be permissible, and the balance might be grown in a controlled environment. But if they do it state by state, now you're going to have to turn up in each of the states and try and figure out what am I putting an amalgam together of all the growing or none of the growing. Extraction starts to be a bit of a specialty we have, and then finished goods, which could be medical. So I think it's going to be a year-by-year -year evolution of what you get to do. So the best thing we think to do is put a lot of money into digging a good moat which is based on IP. So you can do all the work in Canada for scale. You can do all the work. We have the most medical patients of any country, and I think we have the most medical patients of all federally governed countries combined, more exist in Canada, which means if you want to run a clinical trial, it's not too hard to find them. Um, so I think that the way to spend your money right now is build tons of IP on scale, on medical outcomes, on extraction processes, go in with hemp, be prepared, but if you just rush in now, I think you could um, kind of find it a bit of a challenge. Because it's interesting, if you think just about those criteria that you listed at first, like lowland costs, lots of space, you, warm, access to water, then you pick like Texas, basically. Yeah. You, you, go, you go somewhere that currently is not some, something that's on the radar for... Correct. Like, you know, um, where's some of the most costly land in America? California. Where's some of the least available water resources? Hmm. Nevada, California. Um, like you start looking at where they have cannabis might not be the best way to do cannabis. And it's kind of the same thing when, when we talk in Canada about edibles. Well, part of the reason edibles exist in the form factor of a gummy bear is because they're super easy to make as a not well-capitalized, formerly criminal enterprise, which meant that you could actually just take kind of crappy extract, put it into something, you hide the color and the flavor. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that when you use good science, that's going to be the dominant form factor in Canada. So I think there's going to be really innovative products that come out of big platforms that don't happen in you know, sort of less well-structured jurisdictions. So uh, just to, uh, on Canada briefly, like, I just want to ask you about what effect the election is going to have. And we've got another question for you here on this very topic, which is, do you think the Liberals will hold on to power in this year's election? 
which is a simple yes or no. Yes, so yes, but 31 to 26, yes, but not by, by masses. So does it matter? I mean, the, Justin Trudeau has basically, this is his, his, this is his thing, right, legalizing cannabis. He's delivered that. Um, what happens if he is not around by the end of the year? Yeah, I think our last election was actually about cannabis, right? Remember the ads? There was like this smoke swirling up saying he's just not ready. And um, I think that the campaign attempted to tell about 68% of all voters who think regulating cannabis is better than ignoring it. Because when you regulate, that means you monetize and educate. When you ignore, that enables criminals. And I think most Canadians have come to the conclusion that enabling criminals is not in their general interest because they pay less taxes than we do. And so I think the last election was about that. And I think if you tell 68% of the people they're wrong, but they should vote for you, that doesn't work. And so I do think that uh, this topic has gone through the ringer and is done. And I think that there's a position that conservatives could occupy a position saying, we started the real medical program. And if you elect us, we'll govern it better, we'll fund it better, we'll manage it better. And the liberals can say, we launched the real end of ignoring cannabis let us perfect it for the next four more years mm. and show you how good we are at managing. And so I think they both have that uh, position to but, occupy, and I don't believe there's any appetite at any federal leader or caucus or party to actually bring this up and go to the mat on it here. Although you may find, might you not find that if the Conservatives get in and say if you have an early election that the edible, the, the, the legalisation of edibles doesn't happen? Because that is a big revenue opportunity for mm. you, right, especially with consolation and beverages. Is that potentially at risk? Well, it, it, everything's always at risk, right? This is our sector. But I would say that um, the argument then is that we would like to ignore that segment and enable the ongoing benefit of criminals. And I think that that argument has picked up enough momentum that... Um, for the most part, I think it just feels like this is going to go. Um, in Canada, the one thing I do find is the, ro the role of our regulator is much greater than, say, in America. So the role of Health Canada, um, we have legislation in. Now, to add edibles, they don't have to go back to Parliament, right? They simply add it as an amendment to the existing definition of permissible legal products, but it's done. And so I think, um, I think it will keep going uh, in our we're starting to see so many jobs, and guess where a lot of these jobs end up? In jurisdictions which were underserviced with opportunity. And a lot of those are rural, very supportive. Those tend to be pretty conservative ridings. Like where we started this in Smith Falls, I'm not sure, but I suspect there's never been a liberal anything ever elected in Smith Falls. Um, so like it's not, it's not directly aligning with this party politics positioning thing. So it's, it's always complicated. That's a good thing. And that economic pitch, the economic development pitch is kind of important, isn't it? Because uh, yeah. you're literally, you inhabit a former Hershey chocolate factory. You're, yeah. one, of your, one of your peers, Auxley, is in what used to be a craft facility. Like, there is definitely a kind of very visible transition from old, eco old economy models to, to new. And a lot of that does involve the creation of job, jobs, I guess. We've hired 3,000 people in six and a half years, we've brought foreign direct investment of at least five billion. Show me anything else in Canada that's done that. What happens if... if like, there's nothing. As the sector automates, which most sectors do seem to be doing, like, presumably you will get more technology brought in. What does that do to the jobs argument? It tends to migrate them. So um, what we found is as you automate, it's because you get to scale. But what you would do then is often export people to other jurisdictions you say, who wants to work in our Denmark facility? A bunch of hands goes up, go to Denmark and meet a bunch of people who started in Smith Falls. Who wants to be in British Columbia? Who wants to be in Australia? Who wants? So what we'll find is probably for the next five years, it's an actual, you don't want everybody in the facility not from the region, but you need two or three people who go over with a vessel called corporate culture, uh, appreciation of why rules matter, all of these things. They arrive and the message comes in. And so uh, we haven't found... Um, if you look at our allocation of labor, the proportion which was involved in the growing of the plant was very extensive five years ago, four years ago, which now is almost entirely migrated to other functions. Um, that won't work forever, 
but um, I think it scales for at least another five years. So, um, so you've talked about a bit about like, being in Britain, uh, Germany, Denmark, this kind of thing. What country are you most excited about at the moment? Because we, we focus a lot on the United States because it's big, yeah. but clearly the United States is very complicated politically, and while the US gets its act together, a lot of other countries are going to move faster, presumably. Yeah. Where, where are you focused so most? Generally, all of Europe, right now, if you go to Europe, everybody's kind of working through this except probably France. Um, like, Why not France? I leave that to you, man. There's a lot of journalists who can dig that one up for me, but I don't know. Um, it, it, it's got a whole, there's a whole bunch of, like if you go hang around the uh, Eiffel Tower, those guys selling the birds that fly up in the air, they also sell other stuff. So it's not like pot isn't present. Um, but it is, it is really clear that Germany's regulating, England's regulating, Poland's regulating, Czech Republic's regulating, Denmark's regulating. You now start looking down through Greece, Spain, Italy, everybody's regulating, putting models up, and they're in a bit of a foot race to see who can get the production versus who gets the extraction, and what's it all going to happen. So all of Europe is doing that. South America is doing that. You know, you got Peru, Colombia, Chile, Brazil. They're all moving through it. And you say, well, you know, what the heck? Like, no, this, is a, this will be a platform where it's going to be regulated. It's going to be having a medical program, and you're going to find a lot of people who actually want to buy the outcomes that will be enabled. Um, and so that's happening. Um, the biggest shock country for me was in September when Malaysia said, like, it was a big, huge change from that person who was captured with cannabis, which was for medical, who could have been um, committed to capital punishment. And instead they said, maybe we should actually think about regulating. They're not done, but they're working through it. So that is the first Southeast Asia Muslim-led country that's saying, we should look at this. That's a huge deal. Um, you know, Thailand, I don't know what the exact vote was, but it was 300 and something to zero in favor of regulating it and becoming medical. So, like, to me, um, I, I don't know what country will be last. What about China? What is China? I think China is probably one of the biggest producers of hemp. There's a couple of states that that's part of their mandate to think about. Um, I think China is going to be an interesting market. I don't think THC is particularly welcome. Uh, right now, and I don't know if under the current leader it will ever be. Um, that's okay. We don't need everything in a day. Have you been to China or on any kind of fact-finding we, we, missions? So yet? I've been to China many, many times in prior businesses. We've had people interacting. We've had Chinese uh, delegations come to see us. Um, but, you know, this is just laying down track, right? We were doing stuff in Germany for a year and a half before anything turns up. 1.4 billion people is a... Uh that's an exciting market. Yeah, it is an exciting market. India is an exciting market. But, you know, at the end of the day, your ability to actually have uh, value has to come back to intellectual property and outcomes people pay for. And if you're going to go into recreational products, you have to have brands that actually speak to consumers who want a premium. It's going to have to have some kind of uh, really preferred experience and get rid of the downside risk. When I talk about downside risk, how many people here started working out a little more about 10 days ago? Right? How many people are going to have a few less drinks? Um, if we can actually start to make products that aren't pounding on your liver, that don't accumulate calories in the same way or at all, and create a, a positive feeling and you buy it in a bottle and you serve it with your friends, that's the kind of stuff that I think can be branded and is no longer competing with an input from a plant. Okay, I've got a couple more questions for you, Bruce, and then I'm going to open it up to questions from anyone here. But first, I'm going to press pause and ask you another one of our polling questions, um, which is... Uh, about China, who who win who wins in a trade war between China and the U.S.? Um, a few months ago, I would have thought we would have asked who would win in a trade war, but now that we're in a trade war, I think it's fair to ask this question: <laughs> Is it China, U.S., Germany, India, or nobody at all? That's a good question. Let's see what nobody at all. Globalists, the globalists are out tonight. Um, so. Uh, in terms of the, mar the market and investors trying to get their head around this, this business and cannabis broadly, there's a lot of, there are a lot of analysts working on models and coming up with all kinds of crazy answers, lots of widely ranging estimates of how big the market is. Um, one of your peers said that they hoped that they would be able to get, or they believed they could get, a $100 billion market capitalization at one stage. You're now at, what, 17 Canadian. How long before we get a $100 billion marijuana producer, do you think? And what makes you think it would be you when it happens? Hmm. Another good question. Um, 
I think there's a bunch of milestones between that. That's a, that's a pretty big number. Um, this is like the Netflix of weed that we're talking about. Yeah, no, but I, I think that entity for sure is multi-jurisdictional and for sure active in both uh, regulated markets. Um, they have to have all kinds of intellectual property, otherwise there's no chance your market cap, because you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to be valued at two times sales to be a $100 billion market cap. You're going to have to be valued at a very high multiple of sales, which means you have some really unique and powerful IP. Um, I think we're in that lottery, but that's a game that you don't, you don't win because you play. You have to win because you, you do a lot of things right and get lucky sometimes too. Uh, and when, you know, clinical trials, yeah. ask anybody who's initiated a clinical trial whether or not they're sure it'll work, they're all sure it'll work. Doesn't always work. Um, so I, I, I think those would contribute, but you know, if I had a, a market cap of $100 billion, it would mean I'd end up with like a beer division as a subordinate. And, and right. so these Constellation's things- Constellation's about $38, 40000000000 billion, yeah. dollars, I think, that was and, and I, So I think that the market caps can grow quickly, but there's gonna be a demand that first show us some numbers. Um, somebody's gotta put up a big sales number, and a big sales number in this world's gotta be like a billion or more in a year. You gotta be able to show that you actually have a business where you isolate in at least one, one area, because the, the whole world's maturing at different rates. And so if you actually have a semi-mature market, say Canada, and a year or two out, you can actually show how Canada works by the two primary business lines and what your normalized operating would be. And you can say, well, there's 36 million people here, and this is what we see for this kind of income. And then you could lay it out across the world. And if you had all that IP, you could start seeing where you get a really aggressive market cap. Um, but I don't think you can just kind of run around putting press releases out and making claims these days anymore. Like there's... Um, 2019 is going to be the year of uh, consolidation of anybody who's a medium to small market cap because it's going to be the only uh, the only way that that works. What is medium to small? Well, I think if you if you've got like one site and a couple hundred million dollars of maybe half a billion, and you've raised uh, a chunk of money that seemed like a lot but it keeps going away, and maybe it's 7,500 million, um, you got to put four or five of those together, and so. Um, I, I think we're uh, I'm a think we're a few years out before we're really disrupting primary pharma outcomes. When you start doing that, that's when you really can have a, a mega cap too. Yeah. So the other question I want to ask you is kind of, is actually about you. Um, I mean, you run the biggest cannabis producer, the biggest legal cannabis producer in the world. Um, but like everyone in this industry, because this industry didn't actually exist in a formal manner until very recently, like you, you haven't got that much. Ex- Experience, right? I mean, if, you don't, like you founded the company as it is Tweed, I think, twenty twelve. Um, no one in the industry has that much experience. Uh, so aren't you all kind of making it up as you go along? What makes a good? I mean, what makes a good CEO in an industry that where no one has more than sort of six years of experience? Hmm. Um, well, you, you probably should have made quite a few mistakes in other sectors, um, because. You know, I come from tech, and tech taught me a bunch of things. I came from infrastructure. That taught me quite a bit. Uh, I mean, capital markets to compliance. But I think um, the only thing that's going to work is if whoever's running the place actually has some... My objective when I started this was, let's understand it, and if people are really against it, I don't mind that as long as they're well-informed. And so I think the only companies that have a chance of going are CEO... You're supposed to be the leader, which means I think your ethical obligation to how the place treats the exit from prohibition should be first and foremost. And you can't come up with that lately. Like, I would suggest I've turned down opportunities to invest personally that probably would have rewarded me with far more than I'm going to make from doing this. I'm doing fine by doing this, but I mean, like, I've told everybody who works for me, we can't invest personally in any company in the space or that might be in the space because if we're perceived to want to kill that company uh, or not kill that company based on a a minority interest we take, that won't work. And uh, we've been very clear that we participate in only lawful ways. And people are on us all the time, well, you should do this, you should do that. But um, I think at the end of the day, when somebody like the DEA needs to approve a supplier to go to one of the biggest research institutes in America and we're the only ones allowed to send the product across the border. Sometimes those rewards don't pay out today, um, but you got to do that. So, you know, there's no real shortcuts or tricks. And um, 
ultimately, I think if the person running the place actually does anything, that turns out to be a problem. Uh, and I say that in that um, if you came and saw our shop, there are a whole lot of really motivated, smart people who may or may not have actually ever run anything gigantic. But they're bright, they're aimed, and they don't show up with a model that they're trying to overlay on top of running this place. You d- you're not a customer of Canada. No, you don't no. smoke weed. You don't. I'm, I'm you delighted don't when we will have stores and I can walk in and interact with people. And I can buy the product without necessarily giving the government my credit card and shipping address. I think that's an important thing for me when I get to the border. Um, and I think that... Um, Beverages are the, what do you guys all have before you came in here? Under your ta- chair, beverages. What's a socially normal form factor for an intoxicant? A beverage. And if a company makes a variety of them that are amazing in terms of flavor, focus, and outcome, I think that this is just going to be like, you know, people talk about in the U.S. there's only a 2% market share. Okay, they're super awful. So a 2% market share for stuff that's generally terrible is quite a remarkable outcome. But how, uh, to have a CEO of a, of a cannabis company who doesn't, who doesn't actually use <laughs> cannabis themselves, you can see that two ways. You can see that as, as you know, a good thing. You're just focused on the finances, you're focused on the business. Or, but I'm thinking, you know, if Elon Musk tweeted today that he doesn't actually drive, doesn't have yeah. a driving license, Tesla investors would freak out. They would say, mm. how, you, don't, you, don't understand, you can't understand this product. Yeah. Do you see it as a, as a, I as see a positive? It as an, I or? see it as a negative from now. Um, I'm looking forward to being a customer. Um, but... It was a huge positive at the beginning. And the reason was, I can tell you in 2013, 14, 15, some of 16, um, when everybody was skeptical, the questions often were, um, so you, you know, do you use your stuff much? And, and being able to say, listen, man, I, I'm, I'm the seller, not the buyer. And uh, this is what it's about, and this is why. The capital markets, that was very helpful. Now it's not helpful, and frankly, as I've gone through this journey, I think uh, cannabis is a far better choice than alcohol. Um, like it just has a lot less of all the negatives. Um, but our form factors are restricted here. I'm not, uh, I'm way more comfortable with an ingestible, a non-burn inhalable, a drinkable. Um, I think a lot of people don't really feel comfortable. In Canada, we've done an amazing job as a health authority having everyone hate smokers. Right? Like it is, it is probably, if you said one campaign, Canada crushed it on. You, you, you feel embarrassed for the person who has a pack because it's got all this labeling. You go to the stores and they hide it. So like, yeah, I think the smoking platform isn't, isn't on here as much as the drinking platform. Because you don't want to be that product that is permitted but discouraged, right? right? Which is what tobacco is. You want to be permitted and normalized like alcohol. Right. Effectively. And as soon as you take out, like, how many stories have we read in the paper, saw on TV, whatever, they're talking about landlords who are so pissed off that somebody's going to be smoking and wreck the apartment. We have a thing called Tweed Reserve gel caps. They're like a Canadian gummy bear in that you take one in, it has 2.5 to 10 milligrams, and your landlord will never bother you about smoking it. And so there's all kinds of form factors that get around the problem, but like the biggest taboo has been, will they smoke in their apartment and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm... Uh, now, it's sort of one of those things, like, I have uh, people give me really good bottles of champagnes and stuff, and then I never open the goddamn things because I can't find the auspicious enough occasion to open it. And by the time I open it, it's probably bad. Yeah. Um, so now there's this challenge with the whole cannabis thing. Like, my kids are on me. Dad, you should really get some. And, and Sufian, he's a lot of fun. You guys should get high together. And this is like a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old telling their dad what he should be doing about getting high. And... It's because they're like, exactly to your point. And they said, you know, you were always honest because it wasn't, uh, you had no medical issues. And so um, I'm looking forward to stores. For us, stores are a big deal. And it doesn't have to be our store. But if you walk into a store, the people have been trained. They will talk to you about when, why, how much, what happens if too much. And if you buy it online, our biggest fear, and it hasn't been fully realized, is that when people buy stuff online, ooh, that one has a big number. It's strong. I should buy a lot of that. That is not true. Um, and so I, I want to go in the store. I want to actually buy it. I, I think uh, we're going to, we've had a little social media maybe we're thinking about of how you prepare it and stuff because uh, some of them think it would be hilarious if I actually tried to help them roll joints and stuff because we have a lot of really great medical cannabis patients who have been our employees. And uh, 
they've found it humorous when I've tried to help them prepare their medicine. Can you like live stream your first experience with the product? <laughs> Depends who's in office south of the border. Um, so um, we've got a few minutes. If anyone in the audience has a question or two, we've got, I think we have some mics floating around, which Matt has. So if, anyone, if you have a question, put your hand up and Matt will come find you. There's a gentleman at the front. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, first of all, thank you again for coming in uh, and speaking to all of us today. I think the one question I have, and it's something that you mentioned earlier, it just relates to the prohibition and the fact that we've now legalized cannabis. I was reading a report, I think today or yesterday, that noted that uh, still uh, illegal cannabis is trading at a premium or being sold at a, at a premium that's lower right now by about $3 per gram as compared to uh, legalized cannabis. And I'm just wondering, do you see this as uh, something that's going to shift as more supply becomes available, or is it kind of the goal of the cannabis companies right now, or the goal of Canopy, to maintain that premium for having, you know, obviously a brand recognition? Yeah, I, I, so I, there's a bunch of things there. One is the, um, selling dry cannabis is the least valuable thing we can sell. Converting it to a beverage and things like that will have a, a gap in technology and better outcomes and lower cost inputs. Um, what you're getting and how that number comes up, because when Health Canada did the survey, how much do you pay for weed? They just ask people to basically send in their answer. So I'm not sure that there's been an actual vigorous visit to dispensaries. And the third thing is that as of October 17th, producing, selling, and having illegal cannabis uh, has real and specific penalties the government can apply. I think in jurisdictions, as they have more stores, you're going to find less of the illegal product. As you have more production, you're going to see less of the illegal. And as your business gets interrupted, if you're in the criminal side of things, your costs go up. And so um, I think those will go together. And then the final thing, and it's probably inappropriate to say, but um, over time, if we can actually start getting really good test results of what are you actually buying? Like, let's talk about what sprays are on there. Because if you don't have CapEx and you don't invest in a whole bunch of control systems for air conditioning and, and airflow and humidity, you just spray the stuff. Works like a dam. Now that's the criminal side. And we have standard operating procedures about gloves, hands washing, no touching plants. Um, tell me what you picture when you close your eyes and picture the processing of illegal product. It's dude's hands all over the stuff, and he's smoking. Um, guess what's on his hands? Sometimes fecal chloroform. So um, when you start having that data set come into it, I think the prices will be better aligned, the products will be differentiated, and people are going to say, what are you bringing that dirty shit to my house for? Right? Like, it's just going to be a whole bunch of factors at once. We had a lady in the middle, I think, with a question as well. Uh, I'm just curious about um, your position on how do you deal with the externalities of cannabis. I mean, you've said that you know it's not quite as bad as alcohol, but obviously there's issues around, say, impaired driving and things like that. And want to know about your views on those issues. Yeah. Um, so we two years ago, uh, almost I guess more than two years ago, uh, undertook and convinced mothers against drunk driving. They were also mothers against drug driving, and it was hard. They didn't actually initially want our cash. And we gave them, I think at that time, the first tranche was about $100,000. We said, do whatever you want with it, just as long as it's about... Because kids really got the drinking and driving message, but they're all like, but if you smoke up and drive, you're okay. Right? Like that, that has been a generally understood societal thing for kids, like no drinking and driving, but yeah, we did smoke a bit. So we, we pushed on that. As far as uh, testing, we've, been, we've invited and continue to have all kinds of access by police into all of our facilities so they understand packaging and controls. The impaired driving piece, I think it's education, right? If we, there, there's going to be all kinds of testing, and it's really not about testing if you have it. It's going to be what the judicial precedent is, and, and uh, frankly, that's the work of others. It'll be the courts and juries, but um, we, we support tons of money into education because um, it does no one good if you get an impaired driving charge if it affects your life or your income or anything. So I think we've been pretty strong on that. Uh, we put out something where we did a uh, cross-promote with Uber, and we gave out $50,005 Uber coupons, and we put 100 things under, uh, I think the URL was don't drive high, and it gave you 100 things you could do while sitting in Uber that would be fun and safe. Um, some of them included spinning kaleidoscopes, depending on how high you were, but it was about getting a conversation about don't get in a car, but don't be driving it. And that picked up a national campaign and coverage. So we're trying to do, I think, more than our part. Do you think on the, on the health issues, because there's the, there's the sort of impaired driving issue, but there's also the broader like, mental health questions. And, mm -hmm. and again, a lot, a lot of it seems to be trial and error because there haven't been that many tests on what the long-term effects are or not good ones. 
Do you see, like, when I think about the tobacco industry, which had that moment in the 90s where they reached this huge settlement, the Master Settlement Agreement, they pay, agreed to pay like hundreds of billions of dollars to draw a line under the kind of healthcare liabilities. Do you think the cannabis industry might be heading for some point in the future where there is a bill that comes due? Because um, we simply don't know what the health effects are going to well, be we, very clearly. Well, when we look back, you can find probably about 5,000 years of evidence that um, humans who are generally, like we don't seek out extra work to do. We do what we need to do to get around. And they've been carting the cannabis plant around for about 5,000 years. And so there will be some health effects and there will be some demographics that this may not be ideal for. But I think the form factor and the delivery mechanism and the science, um, probably if you were doing, and a lot of the government regulations have to show what is the net benefit to society. Um, if we can cut opioid use, by a significant couple of percent, double-digit percents. If we can decrease alcohol consumption, um, if we can get people to quit buying illicit product that may be spiked up using other things so that it actually has the effect that people think strong marijuana does, um, the net gain is massive. And I really, well, there will be demographics. It really, it's a pretty known product, right? When people talk about, well, when cannabis is available, will it affect drinking? I'm like. So are you implying cannabis is not available? Like, it, it, it's, it's been around for a fair while. Um, and so I just think it's going to be form factors and, and liability, I think, is a, a minor concern. Um, that said, insurance is also, like, the sector, one of the things we can get is, like, uh, directors and officers liability insurance is always a limit. You pay, you pay like you got a lot, but you got half as, or a third as much as you want. So there's always things around the sector like this. Um, so I've got one last question for the room before we wrap up, and then I invite you to share in the drinks and canapes in the next room. N no cannabis <laughs> beverages yet, unfortunately. So last question, uh, if Matt can yeah, pull it up. Is, I believe which, I think it's which company, oh yeah, which company will have the largest market cap by the end of 2019? <laughs> Is it Amazon, Tencent, Apple, Alibaba, Berkshire Hathaway, Saudi Aramco, or Canopy Growth. Can someone just take a picture of that slide and send it to me? I can also tell you that <laughs> right now the gap between the biggest and the smallest is really big. Yes. By the way, we asked this to, of New York as well. This isn't tailor-made for you, Bruce. Amazon, which is very unimaginative of you all because Amazon is already the biggest <laughs> by quite a long way. Uh, bad luck, Bruce. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining but us. I do thank you for joining us also. It's been fantastic. And please enjoy next door. Join us again next year. Thanks, sir. The interview with Canopy Growth Chief Executive Bruce Linton was part of Breaking View's 2019 predictions. Thanks to producer Freddie Joyner, as well as to Matt Watson, who organized the event. Catch all our Breaking Views podcasts on iTunes or wherever you get your audio kicks. And check out our articles every day at breakingviews.com. Thanks for listening.